this morning we encounter a very difficult story. And I want to start there. This story of the binding of Isaac, this story is, is one that I think many of us probably are somewhat familiar with the story from our, maybe our Sunday school or vacation Bible school days. Um, we've probably seen this story in a, in a children's storybook, and we've heard this story, especially if you grew up in church at all, you've heard this story as a Sunday school uh, lesson or, or something like that. And, and, and so it's a relatively familiar story, but I don't know about you, but for me, as I've gotten older, uh, this story has come into different focus for me, and it actually is kind of a terrifying story. It's kind of frightening. Um, I don't know if it hit you that way this morning as I was reading it, but even as I was reading it this morning, uh, once again, it hit me just how terrifying and how difficult this story is to, to take in. And I want to start there. I don't want to gloss over the difficulty of the story. It's, 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 a, it's a very, very troubling story to read. And it immediately raises questions for us. How could God demand such an enormous offering? What kind of God demands a thing like human sacrifice? How, how does this happen? How does this, how does this uh, very, very troubling and strange request from God, this commandment from God, uh, how does this square with what we understand about the God who is revealed by the entire rest of the biblical witness? What kind of God asks for a son? And how could Abraham agree to it? You know, Abraham and Sarah had been waiting for Isaac for a very long time. We've been sort of following Abraham and Sarah's story for the last few weeks. And you might remember a few weeks ago, we read the story of the three mysterious visitors who represent the Holy Trinity coming and visiting Abraham and Sarah and saying to them, in about a year's time, Sarah's going to have a baby. You might remember that story. And that's, that's God telling Abraham and telling Sarah, I am going to provide a son for you. Now, Abraham and Sarah, they had other plans, and they were trying to help God out, and so Abraham had a relationship with his uh, servant Hagar, and Ishmael was the result of that relationship, and so there was some, some, some already some sort of uh, strange father-son dynamics uh, that we read about in last Sunday's lesson. Uh, we read about the, the way that Abraham sends Ishmael and Hagar away, and we talked a little bit about what a harrowing story that was. Well, talk about taking it to the next level. In this story, Abraham and Sarah had waited on Isaac for so long. He was the promised child of God. God's the one who said, I'm giving you a son. And now the same God that says, I'm giving you a son, is saying, give that son back to me. It's very, very difficult, I think, for us to get our heads around how God could demand such a thing and how Abraham could ever agree to it. I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher. Isaac is it. Remember, Abraham sent Ishmael away. Isaac is his only offspring. This is it for that promise that God made to Abraham. You will be a mighty nation. Your descendants will be more numerous than the stars in the sky. Your descendants will be 
a nation, a, a, a huge influence on the world. In fact, God promises Abraham earlier in Genesis, your descendants, your family, the nation that is created through your lineage will be the way that the entire world, the whole cosmos, everything is saved. Salvation is going to come to the world through your offspring. And now, here is God saying, give me back your son. The stakes could not be higher. God has chosen Abraham to bring about the salvation of the world. And God has promised to do that through Abraham's offspring, through Abraham's lineage. Remember, I, I go over this a lot, but we're going to review one more time because it's just so very, very important for us to have this context, this baseline for understanding everything else that happens in Abraham's story and consequently in Israel's story and eventually Jesus' story and our story. So it all starts here at Abraham. So we have to really keep coming back to the focal point and understand exactly what Abraham's deal is. We need to understand who Abraham is, why God has chosen Abraham, and what God intends to do by choosing Abraham and making a covenant with Abraham. So God calls Abraham to follow God, and God says, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make a, a mighty nation out of you, I'm going to give you numerous offspring, more, more numerous than you could even count. And this mighty nation that your offspring will become is going to be the way that I save the world. Salvation is coming, and it's coming through Abraham's family, through Abraham's offspring. God has promised to bring salvation to the world through Abraham's offspring, through Abraham's family. Now, Here's the deal. God is working to reverse the effects of the fall. All the way back at the beginning of the story, when Adam and Eve disobey God and take the fruit that was not theirs to take, they introduce sin and death into the world. And once sin and death are introduced into the world, they take over. They completely overwhelm the, the, the whole creation. All of the cosmos is overwhelmed by sin and death. Evil has taken hold completely. Sin and death, evil and wickedness, the spiritual forces, the powers that seek the corruption of souls, the powers that seek to control and ruin all of the goodness of God's creation, they have been let in by sin, by Adam and Eve's sin, and now evil, sin, death, spiritual forces of wickedness, the evil powers that seek to control this world, they've taken over. They are in charge. And God is at work to undo all of that. I want to I be very clear about how deeply rooted and how insidious the problem of sin really is. Sin is absolutely entangled in the creation. Adam and Eve's first sin has allowed sin to take control. Sin and its following partner, death, have taken over the world. And so God from the moment of the fall, has been at work to undo the consequences of the sin that Adam has brought into the world. God has been at work from the beginning to undo the consequences of sin. God has been at work from the beginning to overcome the evil powers that have been given reign and control in the world. God has been at work. 
And the way that God chooses to carry out the work of salvation, the work of redemption, the work of rescuing the world from the clutches of sin and death, the way God has chosen to do this is to work through this man, Abraham, and his descendants. The way God has chosen to bring salvation the way God has chosen to redeem the creation, the way God has chosen to rescue us from the clutches of sin and death, the way God has chosen to do this is through a family. A family that will be the offspring of this man named Abraham. A family, a descendants, a family of descendants who will become a nation that is called Israel. And the way God has carried this out the way God has, has begun this work of salvation is by calling Abraham and making a covenant with Abraham. God makes a, an oath, a covenant. He strikes a, 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 a binding agreement, a covenant agreement with Abraham. And he says to Abraham, I am going to bless you. I am going to make a nation out of you. I am going to bring salvation to the world through you, through your offspring, through the nation that your descendants will become. God has made a covenant that is for the good of the world. It's a covenant with Abraham, but it's a covenant for the world. And here's the reality of that covenant. The covenant will make enormous demands because salvation will not come easily. The covenant makes enormous demands. Because salvation will not come easily. The problem is so insidious. Sin and death, evil has taken such root in the world that getting rid of it is going to not be something that comes with a low price tag. Getting rid of evil, taking care of sin, rescuing humanity from the clutches of death is not going to come easily. It's not going to come without great, great demand and sacrifice. It will take all of Abraham's devotion, all of Abraham's faith, all of Abraham's commitment, all of Abraham's trust in God to see this through. The covenant makes enormous demands because salvation will not come easily. Okay, fair enough. But still, the question remains. Child sacrifice? Are you kidding me? What's going on with this incredibly onerous demand? Take your son, your only son, to the mountain I'll show you at Moriah, and there offer him as a burnt offering to me. Child sacrifice is not only something that is absolutely abhorrent, it's something that God explicitly rejects later on in the Old Testament. When the Israelites are, are uh, receiving the commandments of God at the, uh, at the mount, at mount at, at, excuse me, when Israelites are receiving the commandments of God at Mount Sinai. One of, the, one of the things that's commanded is you will not offer your children to Moloch, the, the, the God that requires child sacrifice. So, so we have something here that we really need to be careful, careful about understanding because this God who forbids child sacrifice is here saying to Abraham, give me your son, your only son. Now, there is, I think, some subtlety here and there's some interpretive history that we need to understand that will help us 
I think, begin to open up this text and see more clearly what the biblical narrative is trying to communicate to us. First of all, I want to look at something about the interpretation of this story uh, that that may not um, come to mind at first, but let's remember that the Old Testament belongs to Israel before it belongs to, to us. And so there is a very, very long history of uh, rabbinical interpretation of the Old Testament. So rabbis throughout the centuries have read these stories, and, and the rabbis have, have interpreted these stories and sought to understand these stories. And I think the rabbis, especially uh, here in, in this story in Genesis, have a lot to teach us, a lot that we can understand about what's going on in the story. And one of the things that I think is, is so interesting about the, the rabbinical interpretation of the story throughout all of the centuries is that most rabbis agree that Isaac in this story is probably no longer a child. He's a young man. The, the rabbis have interpreted the story as, uh, as Isaac being older and, and perhaps even old enough to understand uh, what is happening in the situation that he and Abraham find themselves in. So one of the things that the rabbis can teach us about this story is, is, to, is to look more deeply into the text and, and, to, and to try to discern uh, more about what's going on than may be available to us on the surface than just meets the eye immediately. So, so the rabbis say that Isaac is probably not a child in this story. Now, John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, that, that is, is our uh, particular tradition, uh, agreed with the rabbis. Wesley agreed with the rabbis that Isaac probably is not a child. And, and Wesley even uh, goes a little bit further, and some of the rabbis and other interpreters of this story throughout the centuries have said this, and Wesley certainly says that Isaac not only um, is not a child, but that he is uh, mature enough to even understand what God has asked Abraham to do. That Isaac is aware of what God has asked, and that Isaac is in fact himself a willing participant in this event. Wesley says that Isaac is old enough to understand what's going on, that he's fully aware of what God has asked Abraham to do, and that he in fact willingly offers himself because he too trusts in God. That Abraham's faith and trust in God is mirrored and echoed by Isaac's own faith and trust in God. And so Isaac understands what's happening. Isaac is a willing participant, and Isaac also shows his great trust in the God that has made covenant with his father, Abraham. Wesley points out, and this is very interesting, Wesley points out that nowhere in the text is there a mention of struggle or resistance on Isaac's part. And in fact, there's not even surprise on Isaac's part. The story very, very straightforwardly says that when they get to the place that God had told them, Abraham built the altar and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, John Wesley says that the fact that there's no mention in the story of Isaac struggling, resisting, or even uh, exhibiting surprise at what is happening indicates that Isaac is a willing participant, that he understands what's happening and that he is himself exhibiting his own faith and trust in God. Now, I think that those two pieces of interpretation history help us to open up the text and, and more deeply understand 
what's happening in this story. The rabbi is helping us to understand that Isaac is probably not a child in the story, not a mere boy, but, but a young man. And Wesley taking that rabbinical interpretation and offering even more amplification by uh, positing that perhaps Isaac is not only uh, old enough to understand what's happening, but fully aware of what's happening and absolutely willing to offer himself in obedience to his father and to God because of his great trust and faith in God. And this takes us where I think the story wants us to go. Because I believe that this story in the Old Testament, and Christians throughout the centuries have interpreted this story in the Old Testament as pointing forward through the centuries to another mountain in Jerusalem, just outside Jerusalem actually, a place called Golgotha. Christian interpreters throughout history have seen this story as pointing us to the cross. This event foreshadows what God will do to fully and finally deal with the problem of sin. Remember, that's what God is working toward by calling Abraham in the first place. Remember back to the beginning of the story. Sin and death have come in. They've taken over. They've infected and infested all of creation. God is at work to undo the effects of sin. And so God calls Abraham and says, Abraham, I'm going to make your descendants into a mighty nation. And through those descendants, through that nation, salvation and blessing will come to all of the world. And now, here at the, at the mountain of Moriah, we see a glimpse into God's hopeful future, how God will, in order to accomplish and finally fulfill every last obligation of that covenant, will offer up his own son. When God's own son will willingly offer himself. When Jesus will take the cross on his own shoulders, just as Isaac bears the wood for the fire and the altar on his, when Jesus will bravely take to the cross in order to fulfill God's commitment to redeem and restore and rescue all of creation. When God fulfills the covenant, he does it with his own blood. The covenant makes enormous demands because salvation will not come easily. But the covenant that God makes with Abraham is a covenant in which God takes on all of the obligation and all of the risk. The covenant that God makes with Abraham is a covenant that God says, I will keep no matter what. And the covenant that God makes with Abraham reaches its pinnacle and its fulfillment in the person who is both God and human, Jesus Christ. And when God in Jesus Christ takes on our flesh and blood in order to redeem us, God does not hold anything back. God gives God's Son. God's Son gives God's self. And at the cross, the covenant's enormous demands are fulfilled in their totality so that salvation can come to all 
he turned to God. God has done everything necessary to redeem and restore and rescue the world. God keeps God's promises. Salvation won't come easily, but God has met every possible obligation and obstacle. And God has taken into himself in Jesus Christ the sin and the transgression of all the world. And God in Jesus Christ has spilled his own blood to make the covenant work for you and for me Salvation won't come easily, but God has paid every price. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.